Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Redemption Elder Fred Hagen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for your gift of grace. Thank you that you know each one of us and you you call us by name. As we gather this morning together, as as a church, as a congregation, as your people, speak to our hearts. May your word come alive in our hearts, give me the strength to speak your word to you, O Lord. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Last week, the, uh, <coughs> the topic was uh, uh, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. And um, I think in terms of music. And last week, the music was turn, turn, turn to everything this season. You remember? Okay. So I was looking at chapter 2. And I was looking at music again. Trying to figure out which song or what music goes with chapter 2. And I had a, a few options. I thought about, uh, I'm still looking for, I'm, I still can't find what I'm looking for. YouTube, right? Um, and then I even thought of uh, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan has a song called A Satisfied Mind. I don't know if anybody's heard that before. You've heard that? Satisfied Mind, you know, uh, about how, you know, you can't find a rich man with a satisfied mind, you know. Um, but I thought one more band, and I was actually tempted to play the music on Sunday morning. Um, but I, I decided against it. Rolling Stones can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> I, I said, uh, um, so I titled the uh, message, uh, 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 Can't Get No Satisfaction, you know, which, which kind of sums up Ecclesiastes 2. That no matter what I do, I can't get any, any satisfaction. And, and in the lyrics of uh, Rolling Stones, I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried, but I still can't get no satisfaction, you know, and uh, uh, I, I'm technologically challenged. So I wasn't able to get everything on. But our pictures. There's <laughs> Mick Jagger, uh, who wrote the song. I love this. And uh, his body. A kid. Okay, creature. You know, and I'll tell you what, when they say they've tried, I believe them. <laughs> I mean, I, I see the lines on their faces, and I really believe them that they really have tried and still can't get no satisfaction. Um, so, where can we find meaning, and how do we get any kind of satisfaction? What are some of the things that the author of Ecclesiastes 2, what are some of the things that you know, this person tried? Any, 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 remember? What is some of the things? Built a house. They built a big house, 
he built a really big house, okay? Um, there's a, the statistics that since the 50s, 1950s up to now, American homes have gotten bigger and bigger, but people have gotten, gotten lonelier and lonelier. One in five Americans would say that they are very lonely, you know? So, so big house wasn't the solution. What else? Gardening, you know, nice gardening, you know, my senses, you know, uh, but, but that didn't give him any kind of meaning too, right, or happiness, okay, or, or satisfaction. Um, what else? Women and wine. Women and wine. Uh, wow, I mean, that, that should have solved the problem, right? You know, I mean, I, I mean 2023, there's still some people who are still doing that, okay, um, uh, and then he has large herds, uh, silver and gold, and so on and so forth. Um, God in his wisdom, and because God loves us, one aspect of love is that you give freedom to the person that you love. And so if you look at all the verses in Ecclesiastes 2, it's always at the end of all, you know, the author does, that he kind of proclaims no satisfaction, no meaning. It's all meaningless. It's always at the end. It's never the beginning. It's never the middle of it. It's always at the end. Because God gives us the freedom to make our choices. The one thing God never does is infringe on, on, on our choices, on our will. Okay, we, we always can choose what we want. But like this guy, you, you know, you get to the end of it and then you realize that, man, it's time to look out. You know, um, there are several examples in the Bible. Uh, if you remember the story of Jonah, you know, when he went, went on the ship and there was a great storm. Remember, the sailors tried everything. Everything. Okay, they, they tried everything, you know, dumping some of the stuff, you know, off the ship, which makes sense, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. And finally, when they had tried everything and had failed, then they looked to the spiritual solution, which is, Jonah, you're the problem. Okay, but, but not getting a chance to do everything. The prodigal son, you know, chose to take his that's, you know, uh, uh, you know, his share of the property and go someplace else and, you know, and party and, and have a great time. And his father let him. Because that's the heart of God. That is the heart of God. God loves each one of us. God loves me. And he lets me exhaust everything, all my machinations, all the things that I want to do. And then when I'm tired of being tired, they may be a lookout. Now, the list is still comprehensive. You know, um, I think there are more, we, in 2023, we found more ways, you know, uh, looking for satisfaction, okay? And I, I would propose one of the ways is technology. Technology is going to be the solution to everything. AI, you know, something or the other. It's going to be, you know, the next big thing. That will solve all our problems. In the way we find happiness and meaning and, you know, and so on and so forth. You know, um, uh, work. 
that was a big thing in Ecclesiastes to work. You know, uh, my, you know, my work, you know, pour yourself into work, work 60 hours a, a week, and so on and so forth. And that's where you're going to find satisfaction. There is an unspoken philosophy that the goal of life is to maximize pleasure and to minimize pain at almost any cost. But the question is, why is it so difficult to get any satisfaction, happiness, or meaning uh, for the author and for so many, so, for so many of us? There's inherently nothing wrong with a big house. There's inherently nothing wrong with having, you know, all the wealth. There's inherently nothing wrong with work itself. But the problem is that I think so many times in this situation, in chapter 2, the things or activities become a stand-in for God himself. That's the issue. So it's not because, you know, those things are bad or terrible things by themselves. Well, maybe the concubines, I know. <laughs> you know. Maybe the concubines, I know. But even in their time, that was an acceptable kind of a thing. You know, um, there's a, a quote by, by Augustine, which may give us a clue to why Mick Jagger doesn't get satisfaction and why the author in, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes doesn't get any satisfaction. And this is the quote. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's no rest until that rest is found in God himself. Verse 24 and 25 may be key to, to the chapter. Then I realized that though these pleasures are from the hand of God, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? So the big issue in, in, in Ecclesiastes 2 of meaningless is because it is, if the sense is that it's, it's a standing for God. It's, it's something that is supposed to replace what only God can give to us. You know, you know the sense of meaning that God can, uh, can give to us. Without the proper context, our loves can become addictions that we serve. I've been an addictions counselor for 25 years or more. And, and this is just so true. Um, and, and it could be anything that gives us pleasure. Technically, an addiction, anything that can give you pleasure can become an addiction. And when we lose proper context for any particular, whether it's work, whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever it is, whatever the substance or activity is, we end up serving it. Initially, it seems to be serving us, but ultimately, we end up serving it. And the one thing we learn from addiction is that it is never, never, never enough.
the primary way, in, in, you know, briefly, the way addiction works is this. You, you end up needing more and more of the same substance to get what you initially, the satisfaction you initially got at the beginning. And that's how almost every addiction to any substance or any activity works. It's kind of the law of diminishing returns. The more you put in, the less you get. Until you get to the point where you don't feel normal anymore. Until you have that substance or you're indulging in that particular activity. And Ecclesiastes 2 is the road to addiction. Over time, our bodies and our minds need more and more of the same stimulus just to obtain the initial pleasure or satisfaction. But you know, I think, I don't if you're familiar with the 12 steps, I think the 12 steps gives us a clue to something about Ecclesiastes 2, about how we can recover meaning and happiness. Anybody know the first word in the 12 steps? The first word. The first word, step one. What's the first word? Yes, but, but there's a word that comes. I mean, the, the, and I think it's really critical. And, and, and it's the total opposite of what we find in Ecclesiastes 2. Surrender? No. We. 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 I mean, I could almost guarantee you that Ecclesiastes 2, the, the author would never find any satisfaction and that he's never going to find any kind of meaning. Because meaning can be found collectively in community. I mean, all his statements, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and I did that, and so on, and so on and so forth. It's we. The first word of justice is we. Because it's meaning, happiness, Recovery of meaning and happiness can only be found in community, in relationship. You, I can guarantee, almost guarantee you that one cannot find meaning in isolation and without the help of others. Because that's the very nature of happiness and that's the very nature of meaning. Happiness and meaning are nurtured and supported in community. And people in recovery understand that. No matter where a person in recovery is, they'll find a meeting to, to, to go to, in whichever state, in whichever town, in whichever village, because they understand the importance of community. Another clue that I, I was thinking about, this is more a meditation or a case of history, that I was thinking about that, you know, that the office, you know, attempts at pleasure would never be enough. I started thinking about people in um, nursing homes, people um, who may be in hospice and who are 
facing you know end of life uh, situation. Does anybody feel like the things that they're going to miss are those things? The job, the concubines, the wine. It's relationships. It's the people in their lives. That's what they're going to miss. That's what they think about. There's a quote here by G.K. Chesterton, uh, as quoted by Philip Bianzi. I love Philip Yancey's writing and a book called Soul Survivor. And this is the quote. G.K. Chesterton, the English author, viewed this world as a sort of cosmic shipwreck. A person in search of meaning resembles a sailor who awakens from a deep sleep and discovers treasure strewn about, relics from a civilization he can barely remember. One by one, he picks up the relics, gold coins, a compass, fine clothing, and tries to discern their meaning. Fallen humanity lives in such a state. Good things on earth, the natural world, beauty, love, joy, still bear traces of their original purpose. But amnesia mars the image of God in us. End of quote. Sometimes we need the one who created the pleasure and the one who created the activity and the one who has gifted us with the thing to tell us what it means. I, there's a story I've, I've told and I actually went back to it about a, uh, uh, <laughs> a Time Magazine um, story uh, where a ship uh, runs aground on the coast of West Africa. I'm from West Africa, I'm from Ghana. Uh, but this happened close to a place called Guinea-Bissau. And the article says, uh, how cocaine transformed a tiny African nation. Seven years ago, almost no one in Guinea-Bissau could imagine that just one gram of, bland, of a bland-looking white powder could be worth more than their average monthly salary. So what happened was the ship ran aground and the uh, cocaine in bundles floated to the shore. And the Africans saw the cocaine uh, on the shore. Uh, let me read a portion of, of how, how this turned out. One morning in early 2005, the villages of Biombo found hundreds of carefully sealed packets of white powder washed up on their mangrove flats on Guinea-Bissau's Atlantic coast. The women discovered them as they checked their fishing lines. They had arrived, it turned out, from a simple-looking steel-hull cargo vessel that ran aground while trying to reach the shore. Some of the villagers thought the powder was Ajinomoto, a popular Japanese brand of MSG, and used it in their cooking sauces. One man mixed some with water and tried to use it to whitewash his house. Most people initially agreed it was fertilizer, 
but does drew when it seemed to be killing rather than invigorating their eggplant crop. Meaning is not intrinsic, it's not inherent, it's not apparent. Sometimes we have to be told what something means. And that is done in community, in relationship with others. In 1938, Harvard University started a study um, called the Harvard Study of Adult Development and Happiness in 1938. And they started with 724 uh, men, uh, I think they're sophomores at Harvard initially. Over time, it grew to include 2,000 children of the initial group. They collected data including interviews of the subjects and family. They collected their medical records, brain scans, and blood work every two years. This study has gone on for 80-some years. Actually, John F. Kennedy was part of the study. Um, um, and so for over 80 years, this Study's been going on, a longitudinal study on happiness. It's the longest study on happiness anywhere. But before I go to that, there was a survey of millennials about what's most important, the most, their most important goal. What do you think millennials' most important goal was? 80% of them said that was their most important goal. Get rich, make, make money, <laughs> make a lot of money, all right? And then 50% of them said, getting famous, being famous. That was their goal, that was their life goal. Either be famous or make a lot of money. After over 80 years of the Harvard study, the most important predictor of happiness is Yo, the, the quality of your relationship. It's not how much money you have. It's, it's uh, it, it, uh, a relationship beats genetics in the study as a predictor. Beats diet, what you're eating. Beats how much money you're making. It's a relationship. God gives us um, the freedom to study about atoms and AI and nuclear stuff and how to cure cancer. The one thing he didn't left to us was how to conduct our relationships. And the whole Bible is instructions on how to relate with each other, with God and with each other, because that is too important to live to human beings. I mean, they can figure AI. They can figure. <laughs> they can figure AI. They can figure out, you know, how to cure cancer. They can figure out how the atom works. They can figure out, you know, this and that. But the one thing I'm not going to let them, you know, just figure out and guess is their relationships. It's too important. In a culture 
and I, I speak as an immigrant. In the culture of hyper-individualism, church is a community where we are challenged to cultivate and nurture quality relationships. The answer to Ecclesiastes 2 about meaning is the assembly. So kind of Ecclesiastes 2 answers his own question. It's the assembly is where, where you find meaning. The community, the relationships is where we find meaning. Relationships are not easy. There has to be a commitment first to God and to each other. I have to be intentional about community. When I'm, I'm tempted to focus on my own comfort, I have to choose relationship and community. God has given me time, life, those are my two most important resources. And I have to choose, as Frederick, to invest in relationship and to invest in community. The byproduct of that would be happiness and meaning. And a deep pleasure that evades the author of Ecclesiastes too. Community and relationship. It's a commitment and I have to be intentional about it. I have to be very intentional about it. But church offers us that opportunity to cultivate and to nurture because meaning comes from relationships. I mean, I, I, you know, somebody can make an argument that other people is misery. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean if we joke about their... Uh, Theory of relativity. <laughs> and if all, you haven't had a joke about, you know, that time seems to drone on forever when some relatives visit. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right? You know, that's what there's other people are in misery. But, but, but other people also are, it's where we find meaning. You know, uh, there's a risk in, in our relationships, you know, and, and in community. And there are sometimes issues and problems in, in, in relationships and in community. But that is where, that's the way God has designed us. And that's the way He says, you know, we you know, can be happy, that we can learn. Because community sustains, you know, sometimes when my vision is flagging, you know, and life is tough and so on and so forth, community is what, you know, what we sometimes will renew that vision. Community is, uh, uh, my vision, this clarification, is community, is other people who can bring you know, perspectives you know, and, and views that I will never in a billion years come up with. Meaning can be found in our relationships. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.